and welcome to Change Waves, the podcast where my guests and I explore the topic of change. Sometimes we crave it, sometimes we fight for it, sometimes we fight against it, and sometimes we just don't see it coming. Either way, change is something we cannot escape. This podcast explores the impact of change, the power of change, and how we as humans cope and grow in the face of it. My name is Ina Maher. I'm a mindset and creativity coach from Tipperary, Ireland. And today's guest is Peter Ryan, Irish Paralympic cyclist and motivational speaker, fighting blindness ambassador, and a friend who has been an inspiration to me for a very long time. Peter's story is one of unexpected change. Back in 2010, Peter was impacted by a rare genetic disorder that left him with between five and 10% peripheral vision in both eyes. Basically, he was legally blind. A lot happened over the next few years as he adjusted to this new way of living. We speak about the impact of sport on his life, the stories that hold us back, the stories that empower us, and how we cope when core aspects of our identities shift. I really hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Peter Wright, how are you? I'm not too bad, Ina. Delighted to be here. Delighted to have you. I'm actually really, really excited for this chat. Um, it's so good to be doing this with someone you know. And uh, yeah, obviously go back a long way but it was nice when you when you reached out as well we're kind of on similar little paths at the moment as well so it was cool now just to to have a catch-up and have all that that the space in between um to school yeah absolutely because it actually has been a while between everything let's go back let's go back a while so um so i reckon we first met about 11 or 12 years ago in limerick indeed we did <laughs> <laughs> yeah college course how are you getting on let's start there where dreams go to die. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's funny. You look, you're, you're kind of taking me straight into a, a time. I Look, at it, there was great times in there, but I associated with harder times, I suppose, ultimately. Bigger picture. So yeah. 2010, like, like gives the audience a bit of background. Like, I was, that was, no, it was probably, yeah, 2010, I started going on to Limerick, but I didn't become a fully-fledged, college courty until about 2012 but I suppose um yeah sure left school 2008 would have been just going down popping down to go on random sessions I was working in construction we had a lot of similar mates and then what 2010 I started losing the eyesight um so yeah I that just became a kind of a bit of a like a refuge for me down Limerick and an outlet and uh, there was a lot of avoidance scoping and going on down there when I look back on it Again, like fully enjoyed 90% of it, but there was a, there, like I just became the, the common denominator in so many sessions. And it's, it's hard for me to, to equate it with mega happy times, even though I made friends for life and, you know, that side of it. Like it, I'm kind of, it, it ends up with me being a bit conflicted because um, I, wasn't, I wasn't being good to myself ultimately. Like I was just running away from the problem in hand and Limerick and... Uh, I was about to call it bad bobs. What was it? Clem Smith's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those Monday month, nights. Yeah, those Mondays. Yeah. So, to be okay if it was just Monday nights. It was, um, yeah, there was a lot, lot of freaking good sessions, but look at it. Um, there was a lot of learning out of that time for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, before you started losing your sight, what was life like for Peter? Simple. <laughs> um, and I don't say that in any, <clears throat> not being smart or anything, but it was like I, I reflect and look back and look at how, you know, how beautifully simple it actually was. Like I was, I was Jack the Lad. I was thinking sports mad, soccer, hurling, football, whatever, like um, doing enough in school to pass an exam. It wasn't like, you know, it was just carefree and the way it should be. And you don't think any of these things are ever going to happen to you. So and you have no way to think otherwise. So like, again, with the depreciation thing, it's like, was I just the same as everyone else or was I just not having enough gratitude for, you know, how good I did actually have it back then? So yeah, that was, left school, I started working in construction, as I said, and making my few bob and drinking at the weekends and playing my sports. And like I said, it's not, it's not a case of glorification. It's a case of how simple it was. It made it, it made it real and it, like, I look back very fondly, like, and now I do have that sense of appreciation. But yeah, it was um, ultimately things were good. Yeah. Do you think it's a case of 
God, not to be cliche, but like you don't know what you've got till it's gone kind of a situation with that gratitude, being able to be really grateful, like when things change about how things were before they changed. Without a doubt. And I look back now with appreciation for little things. And I suppose I had none of that clarity back then. I um, Again, like it's, 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 it's what it is to be you know, 17, 18, like your, your world is small, like getting into hazes was a big deal at the weekends. Like, you know, it wasn't like, um, yeah, like I had a five-year plan or anything like that, but, but definitely when it, when I started losing the sight, obviously for the first two and a half, three years, it was a lot of fear and a lot of, you know, the unknown, but, and ultimately, like when I say that we don't know what you had till it was gone, like comparison was the thing for me, like that I kept on, I couldn't, I couldn't settle with the situation in hand because all I wanted was my whole life back. And yeah. I did. I had, I had loads of appreciation for it when it was going and when it was gone. But all, all of a sudden, all these mundane tasks that you never, you know, you're, you're not even cognizant of, you know, pouring the kettle. It's like, you know, it was like literally every, it touches every aspect of your life. So, yeah, you do, you do lament and it's all kind of part of the process as well. You're bargaining and you know, all those stages of grief, grief and yeah, you just want to go back. That was ultimately what was wrong with me. Yeah, of course. And that, you know, coping with such a huge change, like that was so sudden and kind of unexpected in how it happened. Um, actually, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Like, I won't dwell on it for too long, but you know, how, how quickly that change did come about. The actual like practicalities of the condition. So I have a condition called Libra's Registry Optic Neuropathy. I don't expect any of your audience to know what that is because I definitely didn't either, but it's a genetic eye condition. And essentially it takes your central vision in both eyes over the space of about like nine to 14 months. So, um, but like that, like you go from living in a normal world where this isn't on your periphery at all. Like I said, I was playing sports, driving my car, um, just was playing a few hurling matches start of the year with the local club. And yeah, I thought I needed, I thought I needed um, contact lenses. Started making a few mistakes. So started off as innocuous as that, you know, and then the thing snowballed as we all know, like I went for a night test one Saturday thinking I was getting contact lenses and um, I actually couldn't see out one of my eyes. And which sounds strange when you say it to people now, but like sure the body's designed to adapt and cope and so my other eye was compensating we don't look out one of our eyes all that often like I wasn't going around winking all the time <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. It, it, it um yeah like it, you'd struggle to say how did you not notice it but it was only through finite kind of skills that I noticed something was happening and then look at they panicked wrote me a an emergency letter there to go down to A&E in Watford and then the games began I had a that was kind of really the start of the journey, I suppose, March 2010. Yeah, so it wasn't like you had much time to actually get used to what was happening. So how did you cope or deal with that change at the time? Short answer, I didn't. Um, it was, it was all, it was all very fast and kind of trust upon me. And I suppose that's part of acceptance when you don't have a choice in the situation. But like it was it was happening whether I liked it or not. And I was definitely in the, the not category there. Um, but it was, I suppose the change didn't come, come for a while because it was like, I was just riddled with fear and you know, isolated. And I didn't associate with what was happening to me, like words like visually impaired or blind. I was running a million miles from them, disability, not me. I don't know. Like I said, comparing back to that old life, like, and, and I couldn't actually, I couldn't, grasp any of it or move on or have any sense of you know the bigger picture while I was in it and then like I said there a few moments ago like it's it's over 9 to 14 months so that was probably one of the worst elements of the whole thing it was degenerative and I was kind of like that whole stage was just riddled with fear I I wish you know I was like maybe if I just got a bang in the head and went straight to the finish line but I had to I had to walk it and live it and week by week, month by month, like things are actually getting worse. So, and that, and that was on the practicality side, like something I could do last week. I was, like I said, I was working. Something I could do last week, I couldn't do next week and, and so on and so on. So like, there was no, I, like I'd learn how to use the washing machine only to 
have to learn how to do it again a month later. Do you know, it was like all the tricks. So I got fed up of even trying and I kind of started sitting on my hands waiting for this to finish, which is an awful existence because I was only living in my head. So like there didn't any change come about it until I decided to talk ultimately. Like I, like I said, I was living in my head and problems don't get any better in there. Um, because what I found like my fears, like they were all, like there was so much of them that were practical and like the anger and being pissed off and it was like the care is gone, the sports is gone, all this list of things that was gone, gone, gone. And it was very real. But what happens then when you're in that negative headspace and you're not actually talking to anyone, you're just like, you know, all these thoughts swirling around your head. But we only ever have short, dramatic thoughts in our head, I suppose, like because we don't articulate it. We don't actually let the thought process actually roll out. So. Yeah. Like ultimately, while it started off being practical, but when you're in that negative headspace, then you start projecting. And like I kind of equate it to a bit of a spiral like that. Like we're all love the corporate world and we're talking about momentum and sports and business and all that side of it. But like this was negative momentum. Yeah. And what it it started having a compound effect. So it went from the practical and like right, there's a there's a great rationale behind being pissed off to losing your sight and all the practical things that you can't do anymore. But I start projecting and then you start you start putting yourself in a box and I started tell like just painting the picture of the archetype and this is oh I can't do this and I can't do that and you're looking at your friends and they're traveling the world or they're you know they're going off to Australia or going off wherever and I'm there telling myself I can't even get a train to go to Houston and I can't have a job and all these like the limiting belief side and you can't have a girlfriend and you can't join. So would you say you were in like a victim mentality at that point? Oh, completely. Like, yeah, yeah. And like, I suppose a bit of my own learning since, like I'd say definitely like I put all these beliefs on myself and limit. I had a like huge limiting belief system where I was just telling myself these, like I was, I was mixing up opinion with fact, I suppose to put it very quickly, like, but yeah, telling myself you can't do this and you can't do that but without any ounce of trying or making an effort to do it or jump. And I was completely stuck in that. And then like, yeah, I definitely, I became a victim of those emotions. Like, and you know, I never, like I said, I never actually got it out of my mouth enough to unravel. Well, could I do this or could I not do it? Like, you know, there was no practical element to it. I just became stuck. And yeah, that was like, it was scary, but, um, Again, like I said, the probably I suppose I never actually got to the change element of the question, but it did look at I had people that knew I was you know, I was drowned and sounds very dramatic, but I was I was hurting and be it good family, good friends, whatever, they could see it like and I was pushing them away for a long, long time, like and I don't need I don't need any help, I don't need this, I don't need that. And like eventually that just kind of crumbled a touch and I was like, you know, I do do and it was the best thing I ever did like and you know and I still kind of so I went down a counseling road went to a treatment center when I was 22 because I was just taking the piss on the alcohol front to that stage like and, and I look back I don't know was I an alcoholic or was I a young lad with a life problem that was drinking the shit out of it and not looking after himself in any regard but I don't really care to be honest talking to you today you know, like it was ultimately it was the best thing I did at the time one of the best things I've done in my life like because it was kind of the catalyst to change and if nothing else like 28 days in a treatment center while it was all under the the prism of looking at my drinking and that I actually got to talk about a lot of things and talk about that list of things that I can't do and maybe tackle some of it in a practical way and it was it was just counseling for 28 days and it was it was what I needed was like to take some time out and even the treatment center environment like I had no phone for a month I was just in there and it was it was all about me essentially and yeah. as stupid as that sounds like a load of my mistakes were coming from they were actually coming from a healthy place I like my whole thought process behind not talking was that well because I, I remember back when I got my diagnosis my folks are crying in the room and I always kind of use that as a a kind of shift in my mentality that it's like right like no one wants to see their parents cry that's like an absolute fact of life yeah and they definitely don't want to be the reason for the tears so I kind of decided right well if if I don't cry then you're not allowed to cry 
and I kind of had this thing in my head that it's like, well, if I'm fine, then everyone has to be fine. Because I knew, like, you could see people are treating you different, people are acting different, they're all, like, and you can feel that, whether they're even saying it or not, and you don't want to be the centre of that. So my kind of, my mantra was just, be normal and it'll be normal. But it's a pretty warped mentality because the reality of it is, like, it's not normal. <laughs> and, you know, so I kind of tell people now, like, a normal reaction to an abnormal thing isn't normal. So, like, just let yourself feel. And that's definitely what I got a chance to do inside there. Yeah, and, like, it sounds like that's a huge amount of pressure to put on yourself, you know, that this huge thing is happening to you and you have to be so strong. And, like you said, not allow yourself to feel. And to sit a little bit with the not talking part. Like, I actually, funny enough, remember you being great for a DMC. I definitely think we had a few in the kitchen at College Court, but... Would you consider that you or males in general, I suppose, in Ireland um, were particularly open with speaking about emotions, speaking about struggling? Do you think that has changed now? It's, it's funny, like we're looking back 10, 12 years ago. I definitely don't think it was there then. Like obviously, I think it's become more in vogue to talk about talking. And sometimes the conversations don't go any further than it's okay to not be okay or to talk about talking. But I think we actually do need to get into the weeds of it. Like I, yeah, I do agreed. my speaking stuff in school and stuff like that. And like my phone is ringing every week to go to a different school. Now I know they obviously they're not in, in, in action, but um, it, like there's a want there, there's a need there. Like parents, like I've done the political stuff since like there's a huge appreciation from parents say, oh, you were in Tommy's school. He actually said it to me. And like, mm. I remember, geez, the Pope could have came to school and I wouldn't have, like, so it's not, it was talking on every level. Like, so I think kids are probably communicating a bit more at home, but I think the pace of life has also went forward with that 10 years and, and what it is to be in secondary school now is completely different to even when I was there. And like, while going in early doors, it was easy because I could probably connect. I'm only like, you know, I, I might have been five years older than some of them. I'm getting older and older now. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm losing that, that sense of rapport already. That like, because it was easier to connect to me when I was, I was telling them a story about a 20-year-old that lost his sight. And to a six-year group, that might be only one year older than them. Now I get, like, so there's still those parts of the story, isn't it? But I'm trying to, trying to do as much of the school stuff as I can because I do think while they might be talking a bit more, I think the pace of life has changed. There's definitely, there's definitely a huge need for it out there. Right? Absolutely. And while I, the same as you, while I 100% stand by, you know, that, that phrase, it's okay not to be okay and, you know, reach out and things like that. I agree. Like, I think we need to go a step further. What happens when somebody reaches out? And what happens when somebody comes to you as a 17-year-old and says, actually, I'm not okay? You know, have, are we equipping these 17-year-olds with the strategies to cope with that? Because you know, no more than the pressure that you put on yourself to be strong in that sense. It takes a lot of strength to be there for somebody else who's not okay as well. I I came across this before, like a little bit of random reading as well. And um, they were talking about war vets in America. And that, like on that whole topic of like, they don't talk or shell shock or whatever. But they actually, they, they done like a, a big deep dive into some of the, the reasons why. And more often than not, someone tried to talk but the people on the other, and I'm not blaming the people on the other side here for a second, but it was like, people weren't equipped. So like you try and say something that someone just has no comprehension of and it, and it lends itself to sympathy, not empathy. And I just think the, like, we need to train the, pe the listeners as much as the, the people to talk because it just needs to be a, a nice, safe environment to get those things out. And like I said, sometimes you're not actually fixing the problem, but the power is in actually just getting it out there and like I said unraveling some of those thoughts and then then you kind of realize I didn't capitulate and you know and the world didn't end and you know and you, do, you don't need advice all the time you just need to you know I inherently knew what I needed to do but I couldn't get it out of my mouth I actually used to even go to the point of and I never realized it, like I was in that treatment center and even practically wise like we'd be having group sessions like and I used to have my mouth covered with my hoodie and I was like innately I like I was even stopping myself from talking with my body language like I was just like and I, yeah. you had to bring bring my attention to that like so obviously there's there's professionals and then there's there's other outlets to talk I took it to the point where I needed 
professional advice. I needed professional counseling. But like maybe tripping it out and I always tell people like a coffee with a friend is cheaper than a counselor. Like because in essence it's the same thing. Like and if someone's your friend, then it's for that very reason, you know. So like why be ashamed to say these things? Like I think we're we're very guarded and we like the and be it through social media or whatever, like um, we'll we only given off that one version of ourselves and we don't like to show a vulnerability, but like we all have it and there's a problem in every house in the country, do you know what I mean? But we don't acknowledge that. We only we only live in our world. So we try to put up the, the shield of armor then when we're out in the world. But uh I just think like it's it's pointless now. <laughs> do you know, I always myself my housemate, we always like we laugh about um just conversations that go on. We kind of call it like Shakespeare said, like polite, meaningless words. And like I kind of, I enjoy just having real conversations with people. So I probably always did enjoy that, but I was completely guarded around the subject of my own vulnerability. And that's probably what we ended up having DMCs about life and about this and about that. But I probably pivoted away from talking about myself at every opportunity. Yeah, looking back, maybe, you know, and maybe I did as well. Maybe I thought we were having these deep, meaningful conversations, but maybe neither of us actually spoke about what was actually going on for us. You know, it's funny looking back, what you can think was depth maybe wasn't what either person needed at that exact time. Uh, oh, well, I'm not accusing our chats of that now. I think, I think there, was a, there, there was definitely good chats there. But all I mean is like, yeah, when it comes to talking about the actual hurt or the actual, the thing that, you know, that really niggles us. There's so much in what you just said there, um, especially with regard to vulnerability and that idea of, you know, reaching out. Like there is such vulnerability in reaching out and and saying you're scared or saying you're struggling, you know, and then that response is so important, like that safe space. Um, when in all of us, maybe there's an urge there, oh shit, this, this person is hurting, I need to fix this. And nobody at any point taught us how to sit with this discomfort, first of all, the discomfort of having somebody in front of you who's struggling and teach us that actually, you know, it's okay. We just need to sit with them. We just need to be there for them. We don't need to try and fix that. And I think that's, you know, something that's really, really important to learn. And I think I'm still learning that. Like, I think that's a skill that you, you develop, you work on. Um, and it comes with time, I suppose. But to kind of move more towards that idea of, vulnerability and being yourself and like discovering you know your identity and who you are like obviously that time like being you know 18 19 20 there's such formative years um are there other times now looking back over the last 10 years that you would say are really pivotal like in that journey of self-discovery and kind of figuring out who you are and you know what you're offering to the world are there other moments in the last few years that you're like yeah that was a big one or for me, obviously, the 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 catalyst for change or whatever, and actually the deep dive was the big first moment, and and ever since then, it's just been a it's been a different way of looking at the world, and in some ways, yeah, you're trying to you're trying to beat the condition, you're trying to be true to yourself, and you're just trying to get on with it, and you know, like at a certain point, we can only talk about the subject for so long, and then then I have to start implementing a bit of action, and I think I started doing that, but. Look, it hasn't been like this mad upward trajectory all the time. And that's the thing I had to kind of come to terms with. Like there's, it ebbs and it flows and it's not always because of my condition. And that was probably something, you know, I started learning through life. Like we, I can have a bad day. It's not because I lost my sight. It's because, you know, I, like I probably know inherently what a good day looks like for me. And, and most of us do. And we don't, don't always spend the time dedicated to those things that actually give us a bit of meaning or give us Joe when you're in that conversation when you're for whoever there's going to be something we do in life where time just stops we have no concept of anything and that that pure engagement like and I probably whether it's me connecting with who I was or kind of discovering this new person and because of the condition and because I had to learn new skill sets or whatever like but definitely the interpersonal side is huge for me and I I started learning that that's where I want to be spending my time and be it through the talks that I was doing in schools and corporates and this and that. And then the sport gave me so much like, so I suppose to talk on that one, actually getting involved in the Paralympics was a huge kind of moment as well. Because <clears throat> like I went there, I still had my hang-ups. I was still, 
the only blind boy in the village kind of thing. And you know that that victim thing, it's still there. Like, and it, it might never go away, but it's not not there in any of the same sense that it was. Like, but I went to this first Paralympic event, and it was the first time I immersed myself in the community, like of people with a disability. And I always kind of tell people like that. It, the race was up in Roscommon and I was going up and I didn't even know what I was going to. Like I was just told I was getting back into sport and I was trying to do the right things and things that made sense to me at the time and sport was a huge void so I started trying to fill that and I, uh, I went up to this event like and it was just a complete circus of disabilities like it was lads in wheelchairs, lads with dogs, lads missing arms, legs, you name it like and, and like I just kind of went away and I was thinking about it afterwards and I was like like this is so cool because like everyone was smiling and everyone was getting on with it. And I always tell people like, it was like the race entry was a tenor and a life problem. And that to me, like, and no one was equating their problems. Like no one was telling me, oh, it is better to be visually impaired than be in a wheelchair or it's better to be this or be that. Like, and, and I think that's something we're all doing kind of throughout life. Like, but it took that environment for me to you know, take a step back and realize like, you know, everyone has something going on. And it's not necessarily the thing that's going wrong that'll end up defining you. It's the, it's how you get on with it and how you move on and put a smile on your face and have an appreciation for the little things. And, you know, I think we're all, we, we end up chasing things that might look really well on the outside and really do we actually care that much? I don't know. <laughs> you know, so um, getting involved apparently, it changed, it changed me as a person as well. So I, like it always started giving me back a sense of identity and, I was loving being competitive again and sport was something that I thought was gone forever and honestly thought was gone and I didn't realize how much I enjoyed my sport until that like we, we spoke earlier but all of a sudden I was ticking other boxes that I didn't realize like be it the confidence be it whatever the sense of myself and then I started traveling the world through the bike I made it onto the Irish team and like there again, that was something I thought was gone forever it's like I was lamenting like I said the lads going to Australia or America and now I'm going to South Africa. Like I've been all around the world through the bike and it's a byproduct of what happened. And it's just, it was just a complete reframe and like I'm still getting to do these things and maybe I'm getting to do it in a better sense. Like, so um, yeah, like, I, I, like I'm trying to constantly learn through it. Like, and I'm not always just like cerebral about the experience, but when I do reflect and look back on it, like I have a new sense of appreciation and I don't actually think it's the worst thing that, has ever happened. So definitely don't think it's the worst thing that has ever happened to anyone. Um, obviously, like I said, I get pissed off every now and again, but for the most part, like I'm trying to be content with it and, and move on. And these are the cards I have and I'm going to make the most of them. So It sounds like you've gained a huge sense of perspective and um, more of a, more empowering beliefs are driving you than the limiting beliefs maybe that you spoke to before. So do you have any kind of um maybe advice or like i know a lot of us experience limiting beliefs you know that that idea that you spoke of where we put these beliefs on ourselves that we you know we put ourselves into a box we don't step out of our comfort zones we keep ourselves nice and safe here because we couldn't do that we couldn't be the person that did x y and z when actually we're dreaming of doing that but we stop ourselves like often do you have any advice about moving out of that comfort zone and like turning those limiting beliefs into more empowering ones? Yeah, the, the comfort zone is something I kind of love talking about. And I've had this really cool journey through cycling, but it's actually had like, it's disseminated into so many other aspects of my life. Like, and I didn't, I didn't get on a bike saying, I want to go to the Paralympics in Rio or I want to try and get to Tokyo. I got on because like, I needed to get back into sport. It started off so simple. But like, again, we're talking about the limiting beliefs and I can't do this and I can't do that. And like, oh, like to answer your question shortly, we just have to start putting a bit of motion into our life. Like we, we let the perfect plan get in the way of a good plan and yeah. or get in the way of, you know, and sometimes are, and I, I can be guilty of this myself at times, but like I need to check myself because I've learned it now and I know what works and what doesn't. Like I, I tell people like that, it's easier to steer a moving ship, but like you need to take that first step. Like it's like, and it doesn't have to be the grand plan, but like if the intentions are good and there's a bit of a trajectory there, you don't know what's going to come out of it, be it the people you'll meet along the way or the actual thing itself. But with people like, like we're, we're all, we all think that like our happiness is going to be based on the goal setting. And 
more often than not, like when we get to the goal, it's it's the space in between. It's that trajectory. It's like, and I I'm really trying to avoid use the word journey, but it is that in essence, like that we're we're moving towards something that means something to us. Um, so like with the limiting beliefs thing, like we're not inherently like we stopped learning to do so many things probably by the age of 16 and then we just like put a cap on and told ourselves oh, I can't do that can't do that but most of the things we're good at at the moment if we look at our life like be it driving be it, like compare things to simple things that's that's what I always try and do when I'm talking to people like don't make it about the profound like so right I went to like I wasn't able to cycle a bike before that's kind of what I tell people it's like you know like be it at any level we have to learn how to do that we had to learn how to drive a car. We had to, all those things that we do unconsciously and we don't think about, like they're learned skills for the most part. We're not conscientiously thinking, how do I jog or how do I walk? Like, so, and, that, and that's why I try and bring it back to like whatever the task is, if it's learning Spanish, if it's picking guitars, whatever, like it's like you can't, well, you can never do it without trying. And it's repetition of these things. Like you just have to try and fail. And, and I suppose that's the bigger piece around the thing, like is, it's okay to fail like because you learn something from from every goal and it's i think a lot of time ego gets in our way as well like just step yeah. away from it like we're not we're not going to be perfect like you you try something i'd rather try and fail now than not try and that's yeah. probably ultimately what i'm trying to say and I'm, I'm okay with that too so yeah and at one point with every single one of those skills that you mentioned we all had to take the shaky first step and we all had to take the shaky first step and not know if we were going to be you know ready to take the second shaky step but you know we took those steps and we kept going because in life learning to drive a car learning to cycle learning to walk all of those things you know you're told you just keep going and eventually you get there whereas for some reason that gets lost with other things that you know with other skills we're afraid of yeah, we're afraid of failing because we see the final image of somebody doing a perfect yoga handstand or something on Instagram. And we're like, well, I can't do that now. So I'm not good at yoga. And we put that, then that's a full stop after that. That, that fear of failure, like while it's completely natural, it's not to the point that it just stops us from doing anything. And, and most of the time we get hung up on, we're, we're comparing to, to the finished product that we're looking at like you said about be it on instagram or whatever like it's like everyone has to learn and i don't know it's just it's just taking a step out for ourselves for a while and realizing that but trying is what gets you there and it's okay to be a beginner we're all beginners at some point yeah, yeah completely like so it's it's just getting rid of just getting over our own way like at times and putting a bit of emotion in place and yeah, I don't know. It's it's funny. Like when you when you start learning these things, then you you just like you you actually it builds a momentum in yourself. Like that, you want to try new things. You want to, you know, it's it, it it's all encompassing. Really, like it becomes a mindset after a while. Like so, it's um it's a fun place to be in. Actually, uh, in a weird way, it is. And it's like I talk a lot about that those feelings of discomfort discomfort that you get when you are moving out of your comfort zone and how that's so normal and that we sometimes expect that we're going to feel ready that the people who like let's say you speaking in front of lots of people that you know we assume well he's really confident look at him speaking in front of 200 people but not necessarily we've no idea what you are feeling inside in that moment it's uh, that's a very good example because I can assure everyone like I'm breaking it before I go up but I've actually kind of rationalize that like the day I'm not is the day I don't do it anymore because like we all interpret it like anxiety as being a bad thing but it's it, it's helping me in certain circumstances it's giving me the adrenaline it's it's letting me know that I care and be it in sport be it in business stuff or whatever like it's it's just a reflection that you care and it dials you into to giving a performance and sure like I do you know like who am I what am I like I didn't grow up wanting to be talking in businesses or talking, you know, in front of two, three hundred people or whatever. Like I was just a lad from Drumban that was playing a bit of hurling and soccer. Like it's not like I wasn't part of any drama groups in school. I wasn't part of anything. I just was I suppose spending a bit of time in something that made sense and be it through telling my story or through the the ups and downs and the origin of it was actually just like 
at its simplest, it came from a good place. I, I hoped that not everyone had to make the same mistakes. And you kind of, and when there's, when there's a good why behind the thing you're trying to do, I think you will push the boat out. But when you talk about growth, like that's, that's too many of us are in that, that comfort zone place, like where we haven't learned a new skill. We haven't, you know, we haven't tried to push it. Like, cause education doesn't have to just stop it like in college, like whatever. And that's something I've only lately went back to. Like I had no education bar my leave and start up to, you know, six months ago, eight months ago, like, and probably a big chip on my own shoulder about it, the fact that I, I didn't, but, but you don't, you're saying like, when did you learn new things or whatever? And I, I like to think that I'm trying to all the time or add a few layers to myself as a person. It doesn't have to be the things that people recognize. I'm getting as much joy out of learning how to touch type as going to the Olympics in some ways, because that's something I thought I couldn't do. It's something that I had to struggle at and I can put down the boring hours, but ultimately knowing that it was going to get me to a better place. So like, it's a really relative thing. Like, and don't let your goals be someone else's goals. Don't let it be like that tip bit of conversation that, oh, I did a marathon. Like, like that's great if, if you want to do a marathon, but like, if you're only doing the thing for Instagram or to tell people, then yeah. I don't know, is there enough of a fuel in that? Do you know what I mean? I always think you have to have a good why. And yes. then after that, she'll be willing to, to go through the hard charts. Yeah, it's, um, it's like that saying from, or that saying, it's like that line from Man's Search for Meaning where he says, he who has a why can survive anyhow. And, you know, that idea that, yeah, once you know why you're doing something and why you want or need or, yeah, have to achieve that goal, then, you know, you'll drive through the shit <laughs> to get there. Um, and... I suppose it also reminds me of that image of two ladders against the wall, you know, when somebody's climbing that ladder and then they get to the top and they realize they're at the top of the wrong ladder. And I think that's kind of what you mean when you're talking about, you know, other people's goals. Why are we, do, why are we trying to achieve this goal? Is it for us or is it, you know, to say that we've achieved this, which apparently gives us some sort of status? No, completely. I love the fact we're going down a Nietzsche road here now as well. Like this is getting, yeah. <laughs> this is getting really profound. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, good book though. Good book. <laughs> great, great book. Um, oh, so we kind of touched slightly on the Olympics, right? So not to go on a little bit of a downer now, but this year obviously was supposed to be Tokyo, Tokyo 2020. And life as it does for us all, I suppose, throws curveballs continuously. And things have obviously changed a little bit for, the, for you now with, in, the, in that regard. Do you think that your experience over the last 10 or 12 years has uh, changed how you cope with these kind of curveballs? And actually, maybe you could speak to what exactly that curveball has been this year. Yeah, so I'm in training for Tokyo at the moment, um, and it was all Thunderbirds are go. I came back from the World Championships in Canada in January, just before basically everything started going tits up. And you know, you have we talked about whys earlier on, and like you know, that was a huge part of my week, week to week, month to month. It was kind of like when you're in the sporting world, you're always on this calendar of a countdown to the next thing, the next thing, and you're trying to better yourself. And it's it's what gets you out of the bed when it's you know when it's raining outside and you have to get on a bike at seven in the morning or whatever like so I had a really good sense of purpose that I was going towards this I was doing my all my other kind of worky things were kind of auxiliary I suppose like really and truly for the last nine months I wanted to be a pro cyclist and just come away from the games because I I had a few regrets around Tokyo I was only or not Tokyo Rio I was I was only cycling four years at a time, this, that, and the other. Like, I, I wanted to come away from Tokyo on that plane saying, right, I did everything I could. And I actually don't care what the number is attached to at the end. But once I have my own sense of contentment coming back on that plane. And um, obviously, the COVID thing just threw everything up in the air and still is actually for us because so all, all qualifying events have been cancelled for the year. So I mightn't have a race until next April that's actually carrying any points towards Tokyo. And that's, that's a long time away in my game. It's a long time to, to have your end goal. 
So I, I need to I need to redraft a whole new plan, like little incremental goals, little tick the box things every two months or something. Because to be honest, I was struggling during during COVID purely in the the practicalities of the goal. I was like I had great intentions of retiring after Tokyo. I wanted to do other things in my life. Like because the things people don't see with sport is it can be a selfish existence. Like I you know, you're saying no to a lot of things. You're you're missing I'm thirty now, I'm missing a lot of my mates' stags, I'm missing, you know, all these life things and I've been doing it for seven years. I've kind of got to a place where I can I can churn it out for one more year and then and then let myself off and go do the thing because I'm lucky. I know the other things that give me joy and I want to actually pursue them a bit more mm-hmm. um so it really it, it, it actually it did throw me up in the air in the the right here right now I was I, I was a little bit lost like over the whole thing um now the other side of that coin is like true life true whatever I have a whole new sense of perspective as well and I don't and I know that's a big contrast and but when I when I step away from it I can completely not care because I have other avenues that that give me a sense and and that's why I was actually struggling with the notion of even keeping going about a year ago I um I kind of started losing a bit of faith like through my own life or whatever I was just like I wanted to I wanted to do other things I was like do I want to be doing this for eight years like I said this the the life stuff ends up taking a toll and sometimes it's easier just to be normal <laughs> you know I feel like everything like it's it's a like it's a vocation so it um I had to stop and think and actually start writing it down and what do you want because like week to week I was I was giving it up one week and I was going winning medals the next like and I had to I had to rejig the whole thing but um the sense of now that I'm back dialed in and right Tokyo is is happening it's like look at everyone's going through this so I was able to just step away from the initial problem and like I said I've, I've had all these learnings and then then we have our default settings into turning it into right here right now and the emotive stuff but when I, I took a step back it's like look this is an extra year to train an extra year to figure things out and if it's worth doing it's worth doing so I'm back in that headspace now and I'll I'll figure out the plan between now and next April and hopefully pull things off but it is that that little toolkit that I that can that I got through life that that gets you out any of the holes that I'm in in life like I do need to take that step back a little helicopter view of the situation and 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 I always have this nice baseline of like what a really bad thing to happen to me in life is and like you know this COVID thing didn't happen to me it happened to the world so it's um yeah. it's a it's it's a, an easy way to look at it yeah so that idea of like zooming out trying to gain a little bit of perspective and then and then maybe once you've gained the perspective, kind of zooming in again and saying, okay, well, right, these are the smaller goals I'm going to work towards. This is, I'm only facing towards April for now. This is, where, this is as far as I'm thinking. Is that kind of, are these the kind of particular strategies that you feel you've dipped into your toolbox for in this kind of situation? Yeah, and I think what, what really bothered me was early doors even like you're kind of in this athlete community and fraternity and like you're listening to interviews be it on the news or reading them in the papers and and it's like everyone had it was like a press release that was sent around to all athletes and I didn't get it it was uh it was just this mantra of oh no it's 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 going to be grand it's uh it's an extra year to train I'm going to be fitter and stronger and blah blah it's like no one and again I'm back to the being real thing but like no one humanized that situation whatsoever like everyone I know I know athletes that had taken career leave for the last year and were supposed to be going back to work and you know and it puts you in a a practical difficult position I know people that wanted to start families because they were they were you know there's a biological clock at play there's you know and these things do matter to people like well it's like everyone just started coming out and saying oh no fine because we had to put out the the athlete is driven, the athlete, like we're not gladiators, like we're people. Yeah. And it probably just bothered me that no one was actually acknowledging the human piece. It's like, you know, this affects so many different aspects of my life, my relationship, my family, my friends, my whatever. And I, for me to move on, and this is probably more what I was trying to get at, is like, for me personally, I need to acknowledge that shit and then move on. But trying to passively move on and pretend it's fine I've I've got no solace out of that ever. The the only times I've tried it, I've ended up capitulating a few months later. So um 
So for me, I just need to have my little vent, right? That's where it's at and kind of talk it out and trash it out and, and, then, and then move on. Because when I equate acceptance, like I don't always say, like I tell you, like for me anyway, it's not this like Americanized version you might see in a film of an AA meeting or something like that, like where we holistically, I accept it, whatever. Like accepting can be that it's shit, but this is how <laughs> you know we're going to move on. Like it's, a, it comes in varying degrees. Like, and it can be, you can be a hundred percent accepted and you can be right. I'm on the, I'm on the cusp here, <laughs> like 50%. I'm nearly not accepting it. Like, but, um, you know, and that does, and that's fine. That's part of being a human. But, uh, for me anyway, personally, I need to trash it out, vent a little, acknowledge that, you know, like, why stop myself from feeling like that was something I was working towards for three years and then it got thrown up in the air. That was a big deal to me. You know, it was 40 hours of my week. And then with, with being a pro athlete or whatever, it's not the hours, it's the, it's the everything else. It follows you, like the lads here that I live with think I'm on Croatian time. Like I could be going to bed at half nine, but I'm up again at six in the morning or, you know, and it's like, it, it's controlled how I've lived for three years. So for me to pretend it didn't matter and it's only a positive is a complete lie. So I had to acknowledge that and then, then move on. So yeah, definitely. Um, that's kind of something I do. Yeah, absolutely. That it's only fair, <laughs> fair and necessary, I suppose, to allow yourself to feel disappointed and yeah, feel like, fuck, this is shit, <laughs> you know, so, the, in order to allow you to move on. Yeah. It's, a, it's something that I kind of let happen now. Like let, cause we can be, we're a bit stilted some ways around be it the success or the failure. It's like, why not? Like, like I'm not saying I'm uh, in your face when I win, but I appreciate if I, if I have a good race, if I win, like it's not just the oh, next race, next race all the time now. Maybe that, that's kind of been when I started off in cycling, that's what it was. And, and that was coming out of my own probably insecurity that I was equating winning with me being, you know, me being good or whatever. Like, but now Look at if I have a really good race, I'll I'm actually grateful for that. It's like, yeah, look at I did the work. I, I enjoyed this. Maybe have a night with the lads or whatever. But like park it the next day. And the same with the hurt. Like telling other people, no, it's grand, it's grand. Like I, I went down that road of just the Asher, Asher, it's grand, Asher, it's okay. Da, 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 da. And it means nothing. Like, so why not yeah, take your day out if you're if you're feeling shit like or whatever and something has happened in life, but then then park it and let the don't be controlled by just the emotion piece like but you do need to feel so um i like to i like to just be on both sides of it and it kind of means i'm living a little as well like it's not just this stilted existence yeah and i think what's coming through in this conversation is like how nuanced and complex it is to be a human you know it's not black and white it's not like either good or bad and it's a lot more than you know a, a few lines of what you feel like you should say in a certain situation definitely for me like I, ju I just think um, I'm being a fraud otherwise like so like I said I know I know what keeps me on an even keel I I do talk a lot about like reflecting on ourselves and I spoke earlier about the things that give us that bit of joy or give us some bit of meaning and I, I try to arc out a day where I'm doing that one two three or four different things that right got my bit of work done got my bit of exercise done got like just take, did you did you talk to a friend today did you talk to a family member you know, little things like but it's um it, it like it helps towards the bigger picture like and I think for some reason like we end up looking back at, and I've been guilty of this like I could go a fortnight and realize geez, I didn't talk to my parents and I'm telling myself that I'm busy. And like, that's not an excuse. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just me telling myself something. So, and then I end up getting pissed off at myself. So like, if I know what makes sense to me or what keeps me content, then why not try and do those things? I think there's such a great message in there as well to kind of finish up with that, you know, sometimes we look outside of ourselves for all these answers and, you know, 10 ways to cope with stress. And, you know, these we look outside of ourselves for this toolbox when actually you know the things that you've mentioned there like you know talking to a family member you know getting out into the fresh air those kind of things we all have our own toolbox inside of us we all have that kit there we all actually know deep down what makes us feel good and what helps us a lot better than anybody else does but sometimes we forget in all of our looking outside of ourselves for answers that actually 
we have the answers. We just need to give ourselves the time and the space to actually listen to ourselves and trust ourselves that we actually can cope with what's going on. And even delving into those questions, like it's like, uh, what, what made me happy in the last week or fortnight or whatever, throw any kind of number on it. And, and when you actually go down that like memory piece of like where you're smiling or where you felt in flow, like you, you start finding the thing without, cause you might, you ask a person like what gives you meaning or whatever, and they just tell you, show up your spoofer. But like when you actually talk to them about their life, cause none of it comes from, you know, the the outside stuff like and it can be simple it doesn't have to be you know like the high muted thing like yeah yeah exactly like and so like I've learned through trying different things as well and that's that's your thing like I you know whatever mindfulness meditation stuff like that like I've tried those I can't I can't hack them but I can I can go running for 30 kilometers without my headphones in and I feel like it's the same thing to me you know and so it's like it's each to their own it's not a like don't go, yeah, it's, it's back to what we said earlier about like whose who's why is that or who's, you know, like don't, don't do things to keep other people happy. Yeah, and I think that's so important what you said around like mindfulness meditation because I think things get lost in labels. You know, like somebody else will take what you just said about going running with no headphones in as mindful running, right? Which is fine that that's what they want to call it. But for you, it's going out running and getting yourself some headspace yeah and that works for you but we don't need to like always label things and we don't need to get caught up in doing things like you said for other people or in the way that other people say it should be done if it works for you it works for you yeah it's probably not corporate enough to say that it makes me happy (laughs) (laughs) it's a good thing we're not in a corporate (laughs) setting right now but you know, but that's that's like what it is. You're just looking for a bit of joy, the things that make it. Because it's and it, it's not always about being happy. It's content is what I'm trying to get. Like you know, that's the things that just keep you on an even keel. And life is good when you're doing that. So it's been totes and moshina. I don't think there's any better way than to finish up on that. Talking about what makes us happy. You know, isn't that a lovely way to finish our chat? Thank you so much for listening to Change Waves. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast. It really helps to get the podcast out to more people. And come find me on Instagram at underscore the creative life. I'd love to hear your feedback and any insights that you gleaned from any of these episodes.